Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Objective. Today, I've got Michael with me. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the Palestinian Authority or the PLO and why some people understand them as being kind of better than Hamas, whereas we're going to argue that they're actually not better than Hamas. Um, we're going to start off with doing the news roundup as usual, though. So it's day 60 of the war. Um, the IDF death toll has added on two extra soldiers, so unfortunately, it's raised to 82 uh, since the ground invasion has begun. Um, the fighting has largely moved into the south, into Khan Yunus. Um, but the things that was dominating the headline, <clears throat> aside from that, from, aside from the continuing with the war today, was um, things to do with Pen uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. So Netanyahu's got himself into trouble for reportedly having told the families of hostages that there's not going to be the chance to rescue everybody, which has incurred a lot of ire upon him. Um, aside from that, um, Israel is leading a special session of the United Nations to condemn international science around the use of sexual violence by Hamas, um, which is something we've been talking about on the show quite a bit. And it's quite good to see that it's kind of gained critical mass so that now every, pretty much everyone is talking about that. Um, and also there was an interesting thing in the Knesset today that a representative of the Israeli health ministry was reporting that the hostages who were given over from Hamas had been drugged with uh, tranquilizers to make them seem happy. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there's some kind of propaganda videos going around from people who are in favor of uh, uh, Palestine or, or on the Palestinian cause, whatever, um, showing that some of the hostages smiling when looking at the people, the Hamas soldiers who are handing them over and saying, look, this is how great Hamas are because these people are smiling even though they're taken hostage, right? And so the health minister official was testifying that they were given tranquilizers to make them seem that way. So that was an interesting bit in the news as well. Um, but that's most of what was dominating the headlines for today. So, Michael, I think people who sort of casually follow the conflict probably get confused about the various groups that there are involved in it, because there's lots of little um, acronyms for them. So there's Hamas, the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, Fatah. Um, do you want to just start by parsing out these various groups so that people aren't getting confused? Uh, I can try. Uh, sure. the, the PLO has traditionally, as far as I can tell, since the, at least the 60s, they've been the sort of representative for the main organization of, of the Palestinians that were formerly headed by Yasser Arafat. We also have groups like uh, in, in you know the Palestinian territories, the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, um, Islamic Jihad, and, and uh, of course Hamas. Hamas won the election in I think it was 2005 and now they run the West Bank whereas the PLO they still control I mean I mean Hamas took control of Gaza I'm sorry whereas the PLO took control of the West Bank and it's been that way ever since yeah very much so and, and so there's also the political party Fatah yeah. which I believe is part of the PLO yeah, it's very confusing. And there's sort of overlapping authority for these various groups. And they and they often get spoken about interchangeably. So I think it's the reason why I think it's good to talk about it is because I think people get confused. So I'm I think, a little confused think, myself right now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I'm not even a hundred percent certain about all of it. But yeah, so like you said, Hamas won the elections in 2005, 2006. Uh they got like 44% of the vote. And Fatah is a political party which was opposing them but they have a kind of common goal in mind. So it's more like a factional dispute between them. Um, and Fatah is led by Mahmoud Abbas, who's uh, the president of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. And the Palestinian Authority has kind of municipal control in the West Bank, whereas the PLO 
kind of deals with um, Palestine, I guess, on an international stage. So, that, so the PLO is represented at the United Nations under the name Palestine. Um, people dispute whether there is such a country as Palestine, but at least as far as the United Nations is concerned, that's what they are. So um, I know this is something Razi feels quite passionately about, um, and I want to hear what you think about it, that people will often refer to Hamas basically as the kind of, oh, these are the bad people, these are the terrorists, you know, to the extent that they'll admit that. We don't want that, but then they'll kind of almost dignify Fatah and the Palestinian Authority as being much better than that. Um, and I think the West Bank part of the conflict is a part which, when we have the conflict breaking out in Gaza, actually gets a bit neglected. So what do you make of uh, Fatah and of the Palestinian Authority and all these people? Well, historically, when Arafat was running the show, uh, the PLO engaged in plenty of terrorist activities. So they were the you know they were the hamas from back then but i do think i mean it is first of all i'm not an expert on this subject by any stretch of the imagination but i believe that the plo has recognized israel's right to exist whereas hamas has not hamas is committed to the destruction of israel there's also been high level negotiations between israel and the plo in the past this may be why people are prone to think of the PLO as the good guys or the guys that we can actually work with. I mean, look, they've said Israel has a right to exist. They're willing to negotiate. We don't, you know, we're not constantly hearing about terrorist attacks stemming from the West Bank in the, in the way that we hear of Gaza, even when the, you got, you know, even when they're not at war, you've got rockets constantly coming from Gaza. So I think that that's, where the sense comes that the the PLO are the guys to deal with. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. Um, I think to be noted though is that so Abbas is the leader of uh, the Palestinian Authority, and even though I get if they're rep they're recognizing Israel's right to exist, they aren't recognizing Israel's right to defend itself. So even though they're conflicting with um, Hamas, when um, Israel launched attacks into Gaza after October the 7th, um, Abbas was very critical of this and was tweeting out against it. And I think basically on a kind of, um, you know, he doesn't want to see any Palestinians killed, right, kind of thing. It's, he feels like, because nominally, I think the Palestinian Authority of Yellow claims that they are the ones with authority in Gaza, but de facto it's Hamas because Hamas will not allow them to do it, right? Um, so do you, so... <sighs> How should people think about them? So even if they're willing to. Well, uh, let me just say this, that we, we, yeah. in, and I'm not going to defend the boss, as you'll see in a minute, but it's very difficult when assessing these situations, because if he made statements recently about the attack taking place in, in, in Gaza and about what happened on October 7th, he also has to survive as a politician over there. Right. Mm -hmm. So hold on. Vincenzo, please go in the other room. Thank you. Go. Babysitting is really becoming something else for me. It's quite, quite the challenge. No okay. So he is a politician, right? So it's not like he was going to come out on October 7th and say, Israel, go do what you got to do in Gaza, uh, annihilate Hamas. He's not going to do that, right? We know that. So it's difficult to know what is real and what is just political theater. That being said, the guy has a, a history going back to his dissertation in college where he wrote about the relationship between Zionists and Nazis. 
uh, he restated that as late as the 1980s that there was this relationship. He has minimized the amount of, uh, of people killed during the Holocaust. He has said that the Jews were not killed because of anti-Semitism. They were killed because of their social function. So he said plenty of bad things about Jews, things that not only bad, but that are that are flat out untrue. And these things, you know, you're talking about going back, I think, to the 50s. So he's not a, a good guy, I guess is what I'm saying, regardless of whether the PLO has acknowledged Israel's right to exist, regardless of if he's just making political statements, his real time statements and his writings indicate that he is not a guy that's pro-Jewish. Yeah. Or pro-Jews, rather. Yeah. So that that point you made, this interesting. I didn't know about his dissertation. Um, that's a point that actually gets brought up in the UK very often, very interesting. And so on the, on the reality show next for people who are joining, I think, Michael, you're with us as well. Um, we're going to be talking about a figure called George Galloway, who often makes this kind of point. And I don't want to talk too much about George Galloway now because we'll be doing it later. Yeah. But, but um, so what, so what is the suggestion? Because I know the suggestion that gets made here, which is a kind of weird conflation about uh, foreign policy in the 1930s. But do you know what the suggestion, the allegation that, well, how was it you put it? Was it that Zionists were Nazis or Zionists worked with Nazis? It's it's called like the, the secret collaboration between Zionists and Nazis. It, it, the thrust of it, and I haven't read it. I'm reading a, you know, yeah. a summary. So if it's wrong, I, I apologize. But this is the summary I read is that he was the argument is is that the the zionists were collaborating with the nazis to force jews to migrate to israel mm. that and i mean it's disgusting but that that's that's the the thrust of it there's also by the way massive uh, allegations of corruption uh, on the part of uh, abbas so this is not uh, you know an upstanding guy that people want israel to deal with yeah I think part of what I think part of what motivates people to view Abbas and people like that as being more positive is that they know they can't really support Hamas. There are some more extreme people who really do support them, like Jeremy Corbyn in the UK. But for the average person who kind of feels, you know, peace is the right thing, there shouldn't be any conflict and they need and we need to have a kind of moral legitimacy on both sides. They need to find some representative of the Palestinian cause who is kind of um who kind of like you said, he was upstanding and who's good and so on. And given that the um, Palestinian Authority doesn't seem quite as bad as um, Hamas, so if they've if they said something where they recognize the right to exist and so on, then and I think Abbas goes about dressed in suits, you know, looking kind of like a like a, an official president compared to Hamas who don't do that. So I think people see that and they think, oh well, this is this is the kind of person in whom we can invest kind of moral authority, sure. someone who seems kind of clearer and more official and so on. Yeah, well, he's not well, rocking a mask and sporting a machine gun, which is, you know, what, what you see Hamas doing. Yeah, exactly. And so you get this kind of surface level, really, judgment of them based on that kind of thing. Um, whereas actually they're much worse than that. And so, I mean, and looking at this guy, often in the Israel-Palestine conflict or Israel-Gaza conflict, however you want to put it, um, I'm reminded of the conflict in Ireland, which, um, so the the conflict in Ireland was obviously similarly on kind of um, connected to religious ethnic tensions, right, and this kind of thing, and over who's going to be who's going to be the authority in certain areas of territory. 
um, and had paramilitary wings for the various political parties who were fighting each other, kind of similarly as you've got with Fatah having connections to paramilitary organisations as well. And there were certain representatives of the Irish cause who were guys who went around in balaclavas, who were torturing people, who were kneecapping people. Um, and then there were some people who were, were the ones who tended to go then to negotiate with people like Tony Blair, who would put on suits and who would make very official grandstanding kind of proclamations to the media. And therefore people kind of viewed people like that, people like um, Martin McGuinness and so on, as being um, like morally clean, good, upstanding people. Whereas actually these people had connections to immense violence, immense torture, who were driving the conflict and so on. And there was something really awful, I thought about the fact that the British government went and negotiated with them, even if it's understandable to want the conflict in Ireland to end, right? And it's a similar kind of thing, I think, with these kind of groups, like um, with Abbas, because even though they go around looking very official, they aren't actually squeaky clean. Um, they aren't the people you really want to be dealing with. So that's my view on them. And I also kind of, I have more knowledge of Hamas than I do of the PLO and the PA and Fatah. But so, I mean, do you agree with me on that, basically? Yeah, my my issue here to, to really, you know, get down to it is I'm personally, I would like to see there be a Palestinian state side by side with Israel living in peace. Right. Uh-huh. That, that That's what I would like. Whether that's a realistic goal or not, probably not. But the, the thing is, who would be a good negotiating partner for Israel? Ultimately, in, in 2000, I think, Israel offered the PLO, I think 97 or 98% of the West Bank and a large portion of East Jerusalem for a state. They turned it down. As recent as 2008, they were offered, I think, 95 or 96% of the West Bank. They turned it down. What are they going to accept? Everything I see says that they've said they'll accept the 1967 border. First of all, I don't believe them. But secondly, I mean, why? where else are, are we hearing about a war where land has been taken from one side, where there's so much pressure? We'll give them back the land and let them have the, the, the state. I I just don't know. It's not something that you normally hear about. I don't know enough about Israeli geography to comment. I mean, I've I remember talking to a rabbi who explained to me that, well, they can't really do that because they'll be exposed to attacks. You don't want to have an enemy that near to you or so. But I don't know enough to, to really comment. But when you've been offered as much as they have and declined it and then insist, no, this is what we want, but you know you're not going to get it. I don't know how trustworthy of a negotiating partner you are. I don't know what the point really is. And, uh, you know, and are they going to punish their own citizens if they commit terrorist attacks against Israel? That's another problem we have. So I don't know what the, I mean, I've said this before, it's nothing new. I just don't know what the solution is. It's a very difficult situation. You've got Israel is a beacon of civilization in the middle of just, you know, very primitive society, primitive area. The other people have sworn to end Israel's existence. And Israel has, you know, fights this war with their hands tied behind their back. So what can they do, Morgan? You know what I mean? I, I just don't know the answer. I don't yes, think the PLO is the answer. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Well, look, I agree. And I, and I think we've said similar things on shows in the past. That there's, there's almost no resolution to this where in the long, at least in the medium term, there isn't going to be much more violence and there isn't going to be a really terrible kind of outcome. And there also isn't one that can actually be, in, I think, really a negotiated piece because of, in a sense, basically how much racism underlies a lot of the conflicts. Um, in terms of the negotiating partner, I agree with you that the it can't be, really be the PLO. Um, some people criticize Abbas for being an American stooge, right? These are the people who criticize from the left, who who kind of like Fatah, but they say Abbas is basically put there by the Americans and he's actually a kind of pro-Western force. I think that's a, a ludicrous suggestion, basically. Um, so who so who could you actually negotiate with? Because I, I agree, like I didn't want uh, the British government to negotiate with um, the IRA or Sinn Féin or any of these people, and yet they, they ended up doing it. And actually what we're seeing now is Ireland breaking down into violence again. I don't know if our viewers saw it, but there was immense violence in Dublin just a few, I think, under a week ago. And there has been for the last few years, and there's they've not been able to elect a local government for years, so they just went without a government, basically, just with civil servants running things. Um, so actually the people, I think, who said that you should negotiate with terrorists because it's achieved a long-lasting peace, I think actually what you saw is it actually hasn't done that at all. And I think similarly what you would get uh, in Israel, Gaza, the West Bank, I think you have a similar thing. I don't think any kind of negotiated peace would last for very long at all. So who do we negotiate with? Um, I don't know if you can. I think that's part of the problem. I think I don't know if you really can negotiate with anyone on this. Um, I think probably what Israel would have to do is basically take control. Of, if they if they really want attacks against their civilians to stop, they would probably have to take control of large amounts of land but if they do that they're probably going to have attacks against their soldiers made by the people that they're controlling um, and they're going to get immense pressure and criticism put on them by the international community which i'm not saying therefore that means they should do it but it's going to be really difficult um, for them to do that so i kind of agree with you that i don't know how which way they're going to go um I mean, do you think it would be feasible for them to do that if they, if they basically take control of large areas of land or not? It doesn't seem to me uh, that anything is feasible over there. If we're, if by feasible we mean is going to end up in Israel living in peace. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to happen. And by the way, I don't think it's even going to happen if they wipe out Hamas. I, I think if they wipe, I mean, they're still going to be getting attacked from Hezbollah. So then what are they going to do? They got to go wipe out Hezbollah. And then, then who's next? I mean, they're in an area of the world where the people don't like them. They don't want them there and they're willing to kill them. And the fact that they've lasted this long over there is astounding. And, uh, you know, I hope they continue to last. I hope, you know, from what I gather is a relatively thriving country. I think that's wonderful. I just think that sometimes there's no solutions in life. And this may be the case. What I don't like um, that Israel has been doing lately is catering to either international pressure or pressure from the U.S. And it's easy enough for me to say I'm not, you know, dependent on U.S. aid. So I am sympathetic to that. But I've said this before. It's like, why keep arguing on behalf of a, a government that's not willing to do what's necessary to win the war anyways? So, I mean, you could come on this show and we can make the argument Israel's right. Israel has a right to defend themselves. Hamas is bad. The PLO is not a good negotiating partner. But at the end of the day, if Israel isn't going to fight to win, 
then our words are just, you know, it's like spitting in the wind. It means little to nothing. I mean, it's an intellectual exercise, I suppose. But it, it in the end of the day, falls on the Israeli government. Yeah. I agree with you. And this is, and I've, you know, we've, we've spoken a few times now and, and you've made that point. And I, I think there is, I think I share your exhaustion in a way. I think a lot of it depends on what the Israeli government does in this conflict in the in from my perspective, right? Like how much I'm going to speak in favor of them, not just in the sense that Israel has the moral right to exist and so on, but um, whether I'm going to be passionately in favor of the Israeli government right now is basically whether they see this through or not. Um, so I, so the thing that was in the news today about Netanyahu's telling the families, there's not probably not going to be a chance to get everyone out. That's more like the proper perspective, right? Because if they're going to win, their priority can't be getting all the hostages out. Like, it, although it's nice and it's desirable to, to rescue the hostages, and if they could destroy Hamas and rescue all the hostages, that's clearly a better result than just doing one sure. or the other. I agree with that. Yeah. So, but so, but Netanyahu saying that is it was kind of like an indication to me that maybe he does have the right perspective on these things, but he's caving too much to either outside pressure or internal pressure from Israel or something like that. Yeah. Well, again, he's a politician. So is that, is he looking, is he trying to look tough to his right flank because he's come off like a, a, you know, kind of a dope in what he just did with the ceasefires and these releases and plus the word coming out about the failures in Israeli intelligence so is he now just trying to sound tough? I, I ultimately don't know. Actions speak louder than words, and I'm just not seeing it. I agree with you, though. I mean, if you can save hostages, save as many as you can. Like, I agree with those who say it's best not to kill civilians. If you could go in there, get rid of Hamas, and not kill any civilians, and and get back all your hostages, I would say, yes, that's what you should do. The problem is it's a war. And and you have a, an enemy who's at willing to kill hostages and willing to live amongst civilians. So it's just not plausible that you're going to, you know, have no civilian deaths or that you're going to get all the hostages back. And it sucks. It's horrible. I feel for the families. I feel for the hostages. I feel for the civilians in Gaza. But what alternative do you have just to keep letting Hamas do whatever they want and, and keep slaughtering your citizens? That's not feasible. Or morally right, for that matter. Mm. Yes, I agree. And so, and so, if the Israeli, if Netanyahu or the Israeli government sees this part of the conflict through, because ultimately there's going to be a longer-term conflict, really, as you said, with Hezbollah and Lebanon, with their surrounding neighbors and so on, which kind of even just imagining how that's going to be resolved kind of fills me with foreboding. But for this part of it, of dealing with Hamas in Gaza, if they see this through and they do it properly. Even though they've had bumps along the way, they've done this ceasefire and whatever. If they actually see this through, then I'll feel much more inclined to be positive about about that. But if they if they basically give up on it, like they've done <clears throat> every time the conflict's broken out in the past, then and and given that what I think is special about this particular instance of the conflict was that October seventh was so terrible that it's forced them to make some kind of final resolution of this. If they give up on it and they don't make a final resolution to this, if they allow it to go into the future, then I would feel really exhausted with them. And so, <laughs> yes, yeah. So I would be much more amenable to that. Um, let's just do the super chats and then we'll. Uh, okay. There's something else I want to talk about. So, Jonathan gave us nine ninety nine. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Uh, two euros from Walter Bishak. Thank you, Walter. And nine and ninety nine cents from Bonnie. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Um, 
something else that I want to do, because almost I almost want to do just a whole episode sometime just talking about certain key things that I think people basically misunderstand or get wrong. So like we were talking about at the beginning about passing out the groups. I think people get that confused. Um, I think people could have better graphs of the history than they could. So one of the things that you brought up just before um, was that I think the P- you said the PLO was would claim that they accept they would accept the 1967 borders, but but you don't believe that they will. Um, let's just go over because that's the very important point that gets brought up a lot. The 1967 borders. Um, and I think that's something people could do with understanding. So, so what happened in 1967 that meant there was a border change, and what are the, the borders si- there? The, the Six Day War. Yeah, there's exactly. a Six Day War, and because there was a Six Day War, at the end of that war, Israel occupied Gaza. The, yeah. the West Bank and the Golan Heights. And that's, but and now the, what the Palestinians want is for the Jews. Are they, I still, I think they still have the Golan Heights. They still administer yeah. security for the West Bank and they've turned over uh, Gaza entirely. And I guess what they want is for the Israelis to back up to the pre 67 borders. The a part of the problem with that is you now have Jews, Israelis that are living on the other side of those 1967 borders. And that's a totally different topic altogether, but nonetheless, that interferes with going back to the 67 borders. Yeah. And so they kept the Golan Heights. I think on the understanding that if the Golan Heights was, is a very good location for artillery, I I basically think. So they took it kind of for security reasons, I think. Yes. Then Jordan had the West Bank at that time. And then Egypt had Gaza, right? So, when people are talking about the 1967 borders, they're talking yeah, about the, them. Sorry, yeah, the, the, those weren't a Palestinian uh, uh, country at the time. At the time, they were just administered by somebody else. Yeah, but when people want, so the, people sometimes talk about the 1967 borders. Actually, how much time have we got left? Just got Four minutes. minutes. Yeah. So when people talk about the 1967 borders and going back to it, sometimes what you get is this suggestion that if we can just go back to the 1967 borders then we could have peace and so on and just but i think that's really just kind of a smokescreen by the side that is advocating for the palestinian cause right because in 1967 people weren't happy with the 1967 borders and ultimately i think the claim you know it's obviously goes back to israel's right to exist the people who want to who are unhappy with israel's border they're not going to be happy with it being cut in every any particular location whether israel gives up the golan heights or whatever they would like it to be nowhere between the river and the sea they would like there to be no israel so the re- so the reason why i guess i'm focusing on 1967 is this gets brought up a lot and i think if people don't understand it they basically they're like what the hell does this even mean so i think it's good to understand um so just as we come to an end then in a few minutes we've got the reality show I think Michael, you're not actually joining us. Oh well. No, I, I've got to get to my babysitting duties. An hour and a half is too long. <laughs> no worries, man. You'll miss this lovely conversation about George Galloway, which uh, I envy you for because he's fairly despicable. But so that's going to be on the reality show. And then Daniel, do we have anything at seven o'clock as well? Yes. Ah, uh, we've got the Fountainhead Book Club at seven for ARC UK members. And John was gave us three dollars as well. So thank you so much, John. All right, John. Cool. Anything final to say about the PLO, PA, or any of this stuff, Michael? Just, I'm I'm happy to talk to you. A good conversation. It's just like you said, it gets to be a bit exhausting because, yeah, it just doesn't seem that Israel's going to really stick to its guns. I hope I'm wrong.
I've certainly been wrong in the past, as hard as that is to believe, but I have been. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. I mean, given that the fighting is pushing into the South, I can only think that um, the war is drawing into its final stage, I would have to think. Macron, we were talking on the, the show the other day, said that this would be a 10-year conflict. I, I don't see it going 10 years, I have to say. I think probably we'll see it drawing to an end soon, but maybe I'm wrong, at least in regards to Gaza. Anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for The Daily Objective, and hang around for TRS in just a few minutes. See you later. Thank you very much. Take care.